You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to check out the Navigator Series, it's a brand new lineup from Lacrosse. They have the Windrose for men and women. They also have the Atlas, and that's what I wore during my rut vacation this fall. Check them out. They're very comfortable. Uh, it's a traditional rubber boot kind of mixed with a traditional hunting hiking boot they've mashed it together and the outcome is the navigator series check it out at lacrossefootwear.com This is a Houndsman XP podcast with your host, Steve Fielder, and me, Chris Powell. If you're ready to up your game to extreme performance, sit back, buckle up, and hang on for another exciting episode of Houndsman XP. Merry Christmas, Houndsman XP fans. I hope you are enjoying your Christmas season with um, family and celebrating this season and the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Just want to uh, make sure we stay focused on the real reason for this season. In this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we are going international. We are going over to Norway to talk to a couple of houndsmen over there that are using their dogs to chase fox and hare and we're going to talk about moose hunting with with dogs and uh, Norway they've been chasing game with hounds over there longer than the United States has been in existence even before the first settlers came to this country so that's why we go back to the roots of hound hunting you'll hear some of that history in the podcast Before we get into the podcast, we're going to do a little section here that we're just going to call Friends of Houndsman XP. We want to showcase Calvin Redhouse and Rez Hounds. Calvin is operating a uh, big game guiding service on the Navajo Nation. And as you've heard in this podcast before, he has been very good to us. And he is going to partner with us in January to take a veteran on a mountain lion hunting adventure in cooperation with an organization called Freedom Hunters. There is still time for you to make a donation to support that hunt. It's a golden opportunity during this Christmas season to give back to our sport, give back to the nation that allows us to have this sport through supporting the people that are putting it all on the line to defend those freedoms, and that's our U.S. military veterans. We're big on veterans here on the Houndsman XP podcast, and we want to showcase Calvin Redhouse, who is a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, now big game outfitter on the Navajo Nation. So, Calvin, thank you, and if you want to help support this podcast and the Freedom Hunters project that we are working on, then make sure you go to our Facebook page, the page, not the group. Go to the Houndsman XP podcast page, 
and find that flyer to support this hunt. By doing so, you are instrumental in creating a movement across the hound sports. I mean, this thing is becoming epidemic. We had a houndsman that just hosted an event in the south southwest on a mountain lion adventure for a veteran. Limberlost Coon Hunters hosted 12 or 14 veterans on uh, a hound adventure up there. Took those guys hunting, fed them, made a huge impact on those veterans. And it's something that they gave back to the sport. There's another event that's being planned right now in Wisconsin that we're working on with uh, some Wisconsin women who are going to take some some uh, female veterans on a hound adventure next fall so get involved be a part of this movement it's going to make a huge impact on our sport it's something that uh, is is without a doubt you cannot contest the sport of hunting when you're taking veterans hunting what politician is going to step up and say hey you're wrong it puts credit in our account as houndsmen when we are trying to fight to preserve our sport these types of things are going to help us build a platform to be able to say hey we are doing good things with this so make sure you're going there and you're in your supporting houndsman xp podcast hound adventures at freedomhunters.org all of the money that is raised goes directly to freedom hunters Steve and Lauren and I are not jetting around the country on the donations that you're donating to Freedom Hunters. Those donations are all tax deductible. So if you're looking for a charitable organization to give to during this holiday season and before December 31st, make sure you go to freedomhunters.org and make that donation. You'll get a receipt for your donation emailed back to you. And you can include that in your 2019 tax return. Not only is it tax deductible, it's the right thing to do. Enjoy your freedom, enjoy your Christmas, and support our sport. Without any further delay, let's get into this podcast with our friends from Norway. Welcome to the Houndsman XP Podcast, and today we have... Our brothers from across the big pond in in Norway. So we've got Bear Saraguza and Jorgen Larsen on the phone to talk to us about hound hunting in Norway. Bear, how are you today? I'm doing great today. Yep. Yep. And I'm having a have a good day. Excited to be here. Yeah, good. Bear, you've been a you've been a faithful sponsor or follower, I should say of uh houndsman xp for a long time and uh just thought it would be such a great opportunity for us to to call and talk to you about about hunting in norway and uh you kind of recruited jorgen begrudgingly uh on into coming on the (laughs) podcast here we had to do some slick talking how are you doing today jorgen i'm fine thank you yeah good good deal so (laughs) so Bear, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, where you're from and how you ended up in Norway because you don't sound like a Norwegian. <laughs> I I don't know whether to take that as a compliment or not, but uh, yeah, I uh, was born and raised in uh, Maine, uh, over in the states there, 
and went to college in uh, on the East Coast. I got started in uh, dog mushing way, way back when. And that's how I met my wife. She was also a dog musher, um, but she is Norwegian. And she wanted to go home. So after we got married, we moved back to Norway and started a, bought a house and started a family here. I've got two, uh, two sons and I've been here for about 12, 12 years, 12 years. Yeah. Something like that. Wow. Wow. And, and before the, before we started rolling this part of it, you and Jurgen were actually, you know, communicating in, in Norwegian or Norse. What do you prefer to call? Yep. What is it called? Is it called Norse? Or Norwegian? Uh, Norwegian in English should be Norsk. Okay. So like with a K at the end. Okay. Uh, in Norwegian. Right. But so hmm. you've, you've obviously picked up the whole language is, is Norwegian, would Norwegian be the uh, common language in your house? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my wife, my wife's English is perfect and my kids, you know, my kids are bilingual, but, um, for the very most part, we speak Norwegian. You know, my you know my job is in Norwegian. You know, everything is everything happens in Norwegian here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, your English is is uh, um, you haven't lost any of that. That's for sure. So being bilingual, <laughs> I always thought it would really be cool for my kids to be bilingual. But living in Bear Branch, Indiana, what's the opportunity other than? You know, I've, I've encouraged them to to learn Spanish and stuff like that, but you know how that I, in in the United States, that just unless you're using it every day, there's no reason. You know, recently we hunted with Shorty Gorham down in South Texas, and and uh, some Hispanics pulled up beside us in a truck. He jumps out and he starts talking to him in Spanish, and and uh, just like it was English to him. So we just don't live in a, a part of the United States where where being bilingual is necessary, I guess, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. get that. It's, uh, it was a little bit the same in Maine. I mean, you could have, uh, you know, if you re- if you wanted to, you had the opportunity to learn French, you know, French Canadian. Right. Um, but it was, uh, not something you needed to learn. So, uh, I, I regret it now, but I didn't take the opportunity when I had it back then. Mm-hmm. to learn well Jurgen, you're the you're the guy that that um really intrigues me because you are a norwegian native and your english is better than mine so how <laughs> how are you today Jurgen? Uh, i'm fine great great so steve and i always I wish Steve was here. He would really enjoy this part of the podcast. He's still on on his uh, road trip to the Whitewater, or I'm sorry, the White River Refuge. He's out there for his annual hunt that he goes with some old friends. Hopefully he's bringing back some good recorded interviews with uh, the guys in camp there that we can use on the podcast. But uh, today is all about hunting in Norway. And... I know there are going to be people in the United States or our, our listeners here in the U.S. that are going to say, why are these guys talking to people in Norway? Well, if you think about it, Norway, you guys have, Norway has been 
in existence since eight prior to 800 BC, you know, or I'm sorry, 800 AD um, is when the Norse culture actually there came about. And there are several, several hundreds of thousands of, of immigrants that have come here. You guys were hunting hounds and hunting with dogs long time before we ever started hunting with dogs do you know any of the history on on uh, dog hunting or hunting with with hounds in norway jürgen um no uh, not exactly but um i know we have uh, a lot of uh, norwegian breeds in hounds uh, who are very old breeds <coughs> yeah so uh, what are some of those what are some of those breeds you have um, um a breed called uh, dunker uh, mm. Hygen, um, Haldenstöver, Haldenhound, and uh, uh, that's the main uh, Norwegian hounds. Uh huh. Yeah. Can you translate so, uh, any of that for us, Bear? So that us... I mean, it, that that he, I mean, he did a pretty good job there. The the there's a breed of dog called a it's a hare dog called a uh, like he said a dunker, and it's just called a dunk. It's a dunker hound. Uh-huh. Um, and then he's got the Halden Hound, which is um, it's a it's sort of similar to a a Walker, but it's a little bit stockier, but similar markings and that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, and then the last one you said was what was the last one you said, Jürgen? Uh, Hygen. What do you uh, use? That, what do you use that for, Jürgen? Uh, you use uh, those breeds for. Um... Uh, mostly hare hunting, but uh, in the beginning they were all of them were uh, foxhounds. They used them to hunt foxes, and uh, but uh, at the late uh, 60s, 70s, they uh, there wa- there weren't any foxes left because of uh, illness, and so they just uh, used them for hare more and more. And okay, so I think I think the breeds got uh, the Norwegian breeds got uh, uh, destroyed in a way for fox mm. hunting. There are too much uh, uh, hounds with uh, only will to hunt uh, chase hares. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a little stupid, yeah. I think. But uh, <laughs> that's the way it is. Yeah, yeah. So, so did that come about because of outside influence, or was was that that was directly related to the fact that foxes were the fox population had declined? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. Yes, there there weren't uh, so much fox to to hunt anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's a big illness that wiped out. Uh, yeah, it was something crazy, like nine ninety percent of the foxes here in Norway. Yes, yes. But uh, some of the those hounds are very good to to chase mm-hmm. foxes, but uh, it's too many of those uh, hare hounds and uh, those lines. Okay, so a clean, clean fox hound. So you, you've lost some of the tr- historical traits of your foxhound because of the decline in the fox in Norway, is yes. what you're saying. And yes. and tell us again what, what took your foxes. It was a deceased um, uh, bear. What uh, what does it call on English? Um, oh, no. uh, scub. It, 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 yeah, a scub, yeah. Um, it's like a um, sarcoptic mange. Okay, yeah. So that uh, that spread like wildfire through the foxes, and after 
you know, the thing is, is they lose all their fur. So after, you know, they get it. And after one hard winter, they're, they're done. Yeah, um, no doubt. So that no doubt. wiped out a bunch of them. So what are your winters like there in Norway? Nope, yeah. <laughs> in, in here in North, it's uh, very long uh, from uh, November, October, November to uh, the last snow uh, outside my house disappear in uh, June, uh, May, May, June. Okay. And yeah. So it's uh, it's pretty long. Yeah, and what kind so, of? Uh, and go ahead, go ahead, Jurgen. And uh, it's yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, because of the temperature. It's it's cold all the time, so the snow doesn't go away. Yeah. So so does what are your what are your daytime highs like, and what are your your nighttime lows like where you're at, Jurgen? Uh, right now. Well, I mean, just what the, what, av- at, like an average through the year, you know, just a, a, a typical winter. Genom snittstemperature, genom vinter. It's uh, through the winter. It's maybe uh, minus ten, fifteen through the winter. Yeah. But, so uh, in the in the low teens, single okay. digits teens. There, Chris. Yeah. That's that's warmer than what I thought it would be because when you look at you know the map, the world map, you guys are pretty far north there. Um and and so he's right on the coast though, eh? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. We, uh, yeah, right on the coast, so uh, it's a bit hotter here but uh, only uh, 20 kilometers uh, um, away here it can be 30 minus uh, through the winter. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, and that that's kind of a sustained temperature, I would say, in the interior there. Yeah. Yep. So there's a lot of there's a lot of cool stuff that has come out of Norway, in, in my mind. I mean, you you look at you look at the the Norse culture. Um, you know, there are modern day tv shows about the norse culture and i'm sure they get it all wrong but but they're still (laughs) i'm sure they get it all wrong but you know it's it's still something that intrigues people and uh you know the the fact that that like things like skiing and our winter a lot of our winter sports came out of out of that norse culture yeah you know sea travel came out of out of the norse culture it's just it's an amazing culture that uh, most of us in the United States don't think a whole lot about a lot of times until unless you're into things like you know winter sports and downhill skiing and things like that so yeah I think I think uh, uh, that's what ties us together in the United States with with the Norwegian culture is not only the winter sports but but like I said you guys have been pursuing game with with dogs for a long long time and uh, let's talk a little bit about those uh, those dogs that you're you're using and and the hunting culture and different things in Norway so I'd like to try to maybe bridge the gap between the the common values of hunting in the United States and Norway and one of the things that intrigued me when I first talked to to the two of you 
was the strong hunting culture that you have in Norway. How how common is it for someone in Norway to hunt? Oh, very very common. Yeah, M- more more common than it is in the United States. You know, I mean, not everybody here hunts, but I would uh, I would say that the percentage must be much higher than um, the average in the states. And I think I think we we get the idea that that you know the united states is the cradle of civilization for hunting and we lose sight of the fact that hunting is an ancient tradition in other places and one of the things that that we talked about before was um the fact that that businesses still closed down for talk talk a little bit about that for you know what the what the attitude of the the local people are for hunting in Norway. Bear, go Which ahead. Which one of us? <laughs> Bear, go ahead. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, there's an absolute understanding amongst the Norwegian people um, that hunting is part of their culture and, and something that most, or, you know, a, a large percentage of Norwegians um, partake in. So, you know, it's still, it's, it is not uncommon the first, at least here around where I live, you know, I live 20 hours south of Jurgen, but, um, no, kidding. Know, it's not 20 hours, for, 20 hours. Yeah. He, wow. he lives way up. Um, I'm trying to think of where he would, <laughs> He would even be. He'd be like up in Coldfoot, Alaska, and I'd be way down in Fairbanks. Wow. Wow. So, but, you know, here it's not uncommon at all for people to take a week off of work or shut down their business for a week to go moose hunting when the moose hunting season starts. Is it the same way up that, where you're at, Jurgen? Yes, yeah, so it's uh, it's the same. People take uh, days off to hunt, and but uh, we have, uh, I think, a little different uh, from uh, South Norway because it's uh, actually it's uh, it is a few people here who are total uh, anti-hunters, and uh, especially with uh, with hounds and dogs, and yeah, we yeah. have some tr- trouble up here with that. Here, I mean, here, here too, for sure. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, but uh, sort of painting with a broad brush, I would say that um, that um, as far as subsistence hunting, you know, hunting for meat, there's less of a less of a kickback here than I've experienced in the states. But you know, the hunting with hounds, um, it's more socially acceptable here. But I wouldn't say that it's uh, across the board. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I wouldn't say everybody's on board with it. You know, there's still a lot of misunderstandings about what we're doing, and a lot of um, a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah, a lot of. Sad. I think uh, that that uh, comes from uh, when you you say you go out hunt, hunting with the hounds. Uh, everybody who doesn't know what that is, they just think of England with packs of hounds uh, chasing that fox and tear it apart. Uh, that's the picture I uh, gets from. Uh, the people who doesn't hunt, and yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. There's a, even, even here and, you know, even in today's culture with, with all our social media and we've never lived in a, in a time and human existence where information is passed so freely. It still amazes me how many people, uh, just don't understand. Yeah what hunting with hounds is you know even other hunters even even other hunters don't understand what it is you know you they think that it's a a lazy man sport or yeah yeah (laughs) you know when we were bear hunting i just talked to a a guy last night that was on the bear hunt in arizona with me and and there was a day one day there you know we were averaging anywhere around 10 miles a day on foot to deer hunt in some pretty rugged country and um uh you know lazy people don't do stuff like that <laughs> so but uh it, it it amazes me that i just, it intrigues me i mean i just i'm just fascinated by it because i'm kind of a uh, i like holding on tradi- to tradition and I don't know of any businesses here that close down for deer season anymore. Um, and that would yeah. be equivalent. That would be our equivalency to your moose season. Now I remember a time in my life when that did happen and, and people did um, uh, close down their businesses. My dad was one of us. We were one of them. We were business owners and, and we would shut business down and just not go to work on, on the Friday before and usually the Monday and Tuesday after just so that we could go uh, uh, deer hunting because our season always starts on a Saturday. So I'm okay. gl- I am happy to hear that that's still alive and well. Yeah, you know, it, it definitely uh, it definitely is, you know, certainly certainly not every you know not every hunter moose hunter does that but you know it's it's still um you know it still happens frequently enough that i if nothing else i noticed it when i got here as a as a little bit of a difference a little bit of a throwback you know i I used i remember um i used to roll up to farther you know really far up northern maine fort kent there was a dog sled race up there and um you know, up there, people used to still do that 10, 15 years ago. I don't know anymore. It's been a while since I've been up there, but I just, uh, noticed it here. It made me a little nostalgic. Yeah. So Jurgen, did you listen to the, uh, have you, have you got a back? Well, before we get to that, do you have a background in, in just hounds or were you, uh, have you dabbled in dog mushing or are you accomplished dog musher or what else do you do besides run hounds? Um, I, um, I always hunted. It's, um, it's just uh, been a part of me since I was born. The, my, um, my dad always took uh, me and my brother with us and, yeah, uh, for as long as I can remember, I mm-hmm. hunted, but, uh, I became, um, I, um, I hunted fox and moose and grues up in the mountains and everything. And, um, uh, when, when, but we didn't use hounds then. We just uh, sat down in a place in the forest and shoot foxes. And, but um, six six years ago, I bought my first uh, hound. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that uh, <laughs> that changed my life in hunting. It's it's more more than just hunting. It's uh, yeah. 
to lay down as much work as you can in the hound and see how it uh, turns out. And it's just amazing. Start with a puppy and and work from there. Absolutely, so, uh, absolutely. It's important for me. Well, Bear, I couldn't imagine a life uh, without a hound. Well, then you you are a houndsman for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I told I, I told you, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because uh, it's uh, up here. It's not a tradition with hounds. I think uh, maybe in uh, hundred kilometers radius, I know about six hounds. So it's uh, it's not uh, so very common. Yeah. Yeah. Bear, what's it like down in your neck of the woods? Uh, down here is a lot of uh, a lot of tight forest, a lot of pine forest um very steep terrain you know i live i live on a little bit of land carved out in the side of a hill steep above me steep on each side and steep below me um and it's cold it's real cold here Mm -hmm. right now it's not cold but uh during the winters it's you know it's we'll have months at a time at you know 15 20 below and that's fahrenheit Uh, now it'd be Fahrenheit, yep. Okay. So you got you got months on end like that. Yeah, it's happened. It's happened before. The last couple of winters have been a little bit more mild. We've gotten more snow, but they've uh they've been temperature wise a little mild, mm-hmm. a little bit more mild. So maybe in the single digits, low teens. Yeah. So what's a how many other houndsmen are in your area surrounding you there, Bear? There's definitely more here than up at than up uh, around Yodigan, yeah. There's um, just in my, I would say within 10 miles of my house, I know of four or five other houndsmen. Um, but none of them are fox hunters. They're all uh, they're all hunting hares with. Um, with uh dunkers okay okay would that so would a dunker be would it be uh similar to our beagle um it's a little bit bigger than than a beagle yeah um what is what is that big beagle a harrier okay it's it's real similar to a harrier a harrier yeah Mm -hmm. um they tend to be a little bit shorter legged, not as much anymore. The 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 genetics got so tight there that they had to cross out to um they brought in some Finnish hounds. Okay. To uh you know, get those genetics out of the bottleneck they ended up in. And uh, now they've got a little bit of length on the legs and things like that, but they tend to be kinda long in their back, a little bit shorter legs than like a walker, for example. So Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, tough, tough headed dogs, pretty slow moving, cold nosed. Um, they're, they're, they're interesting dogs, not, uh, but they're, but they're like Yodigan was talking about earlier, you know, they're, those are, those are hair dogs through and through. Right. Yeah. Right. You my, could, my, my first hound was a, was a dunker. Uh-huh. Uh, female she was um, 54 centimeters uh, high and uh, yeah. weighed about uh, 22 23 kilos mm-hmm. 
She was a about, ex- about fifteen. Yeah. Say that again. Good, say good that again, Bear. Uh, it's about fifty pounds. Yeah. 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 Well, I've I've got a. I want to t- kind of take us back, Bear. I want to, or I'm sorry, Jurgen. I want to know. You grew up hunting, um, maybe a, a spot and stalk, or um, you know, just going out and sitting in the woods, like you said. What drew you to become a, involved with hounds? What was it that um, made you reach out there and say, "I want to, I want to hunt with a dog"? It's the, actually I um, I hunted a lot of moose, and uh, there we use uh, uh, dogs for for that too. And uh, and uh, I found out I I wanted a dog, but uh, I didn't know what. So um, I just started started reading and uh, watching movies and all that and. I just found found out I I will go and buy a, a dunker and I did and <laughs> here yeah. I am. Yeah. So, so what movies did you watch? Uh, everything on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you watch and where I, Did you watch where the red fern grows? Uh, no. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't I didn't know if that might have been one of them that you picked up and and kind of drew you into hounds that's kind of a a staple among american houndsmen is where mm. the red fern grows um old yeller you know things old yeller yeah <laughs> things like that 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 kind of get those juices flowing um what was another one bear savage sam remember savage savage sam, sam. oh man i love that one that was a yep. great one yeah savage sam and um uh I guess was Sounder just a book, or did they what, did they make a movie out of that? I don't remember the movie Sounder. Um, Gary Robertson talked about the movie uh, Voice of Bugle Ann. Did you you remember that from our podcast with Gary? I do remember him talking about that. Yeah, but I don't remember. I don't remember um, the movie. Yeah, I mean that's an old old black and white movie. But the the voice of Bugle Ann was actually a foxhound that his grandfather owned. They came down and oh wow yeah they came down and recorded that hound's voice to use for the movie uh, Voice of Bugle Ann. So I had after Gary said that I had to go back and watch the movie. Of course, (laughs) that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Let's talk about hunting. We've we've kind of hit around it. We've talked about the things that you guys are hunting over there. Uh, we've we've mainly talked about uh, on our podcast. We've talked about coon hunting, and we've talked about lion hunting. We've talked about bear hunting. We've touched on deer hunting a couple times. But but what are you guys hunting with those those hounds over there in Norway, Jurgen? What what kind of things are you hunting up in your country? Uh, with my hounds, I hunt uh, uh, mostly fox, and uh, if I get the opportunity, I will hunt lynx. But uh, that's not so many often, so, so it's a uh, it's a lot of fox hunting with with the hounds. Mm-hmm. It is so. Uh, and what that's types... the most most fun too? <laughs> and most fun, good, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so what types of hounds are you using for fox? Um, um, now I have a, a young hound, uh, who is a mix of Russian hound and a tree walker fox hound mix. And, uh, she's, uh, seven months old now. Mm-hmm. She's the sister of, uh, bears, uh, young hound. 
Okay. Yeah. So um, I uh, I use that now, and it's a lot of training. She's young, but uh, earlier I had um, her father, and he was an uh, imported uh, dog fr- uh, hound from uh, Skinner Creek Hunts. Um, he was a uh, training walker, and uh, he was imported to Norway when he was uh, one year old. Started to fox hunt with him, and uh, and I uh, and I mixed him with a. Uh, uh, Norwegian Holden uh, Hound, and uh, then I bought uh, the father of my young now, and Come he was uh, extremely good. Where did you import this hound from? Uh, I didn't import uh, this uh, hound, but um, the the owner imported it from Skinner Creek Hunts down at uh, I don't know <laughs> America. Okay. Yeah, they're so. they're in BC. There, Chris. Yeah, it's the uh, yeah. Skinner Skinner Creek Outfitters over there. Okay. They do. Uh, yeah. so, they're a little bit unusual. They actually do some brown bear. Most of the hunting they do to my, I've talked to the guy a little bit. Uh, most of the hunting they do is actually brown bear with uh, with their with their hounds. So that's uh, British Columbia and their brown bear hunting most of the time with those hounds. That's my understanding. Yeah, wow. he's uh, interesting. Interesting dude. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lead for a future podcast. Sounds to me like. Yeah, for sure. He's uh, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. Well, let's get back to it. Uh, so you're mainly hunting foxes. Um, yeah. Any anything else that you're you're chasing around with those dogs up there, Jurgen? Um, uh, not with the hounds. Uh, it's it's for most uh, foxes, and I have a, a German hunting terrier also mix fox terrier. Who I use in um, in dens when when the hound chase a fox here, it will often uh, run straight down to a inside the den and then we release a terrier in to to fight with the fox and it comes out and we shoot it. So okay, all right. Yeah. And you're so you're you're sending a terrier down the hole, and and what kind of what kind of terrier are you using? Are you like using like a yog terrier or? Uh, yes, it's um. Uh, her father is a German hunting terrier, jag terrier. Okay. And, um, he was mi- mixed with a fox terrier. Nice. And uh, I got that uh, from South Sweden. And she's uh, one and a half year old now. And I think I shot uh, probably 10 foxes for her. She's tough as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. How would you like that to be your job? Here's a hole. Go down there and fight with this fox. <laughs> Uh, no doubt, she she, she gives hundred uh, percent every time she go down there and fight. And uh, but um, she gets uh, yeah. some foxes are very hard, uh, especially the females. Mm-hmm. So they fight back, and uh, it doesn't always look too good on the terrier. But uh, but she's a tough one. So let's let's tie this together a little bit. Why? What's the, What's the value of hunting foxes? You know, why do you guys have, is it part of a management plan or uh, do you have a a high population of foxes? Um, the, go ahead, Jurgen. We have a very high population of foxes. It was um, a few years ago, We, me and my brother and my father, we, we shot probably 80 foxes in one season. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and uh, 
we get also uh, paid to shoot foxes by the by the mans who own the sheep because okay. the foxes lose no, the foxes uh, takes a lot of uh, lambs so uh, we get uh, get paid for every each fox we we shoot but so, it's an, it's not because of that I hunt I I do it for myself and mm-hmm. because I l- love doing doing that right right so Tell us what that fox looks like in Norway. Is it is it comparable? Barry, you might need to answer this. I'm not sure. But what's it comparable to uh, an, a fox in America? Are we talking gray fox? It's, are we talking... Go ahead. Red fox. Yep. No, it's uh, this is uh, your standard red fox. This, okay. They're exact, exactly the same animal. And they're um, they preying on sheep. Yeah, they're they're preying on sheep, and you know it's also in addition to sort of a domestic agriculture um, aspect to this whole thing. There's also, you know, a wildlife aspect. You know, there the there are no other there are no apex predators here in Norway, virtually none uh, anymore. There's a small pack, a couple of small packs of wolves, but they're managed very very carefully, and there's very few bears. So you know, realistically. You know, apart from maybe the uh, the lynx, the fox is pretty high on the food chain here. So they're wow. they're eating a lot of um, yeah, they're eating a lot of like you again said lambs, but they're also eating, um, killing and eating a lot of the grouse, uh, both the adults and the chicks. A lot of the um, capercaillie chicks and a lot of the roe deer uh, fawns. That's amazing. Uh, I don't think we ever. So they, con- uh, I don't think we ever consider a red fox in the United States in this in this area. Uh, you know, they'll raid a chicken house, but we never consider them a threat to small mammals uh, such no. as you know the ungulates, the sheep, the 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 deer fawns, you know, things like sure. that. So. Well, it was real interesting, you know, because it happened in Maine as well, eh? That um, once they got the wolves out of there, the coyotes kind of stepped up and took over that, you know, took over that niche uh-huh. as the apex predator of that area and started taking down, you know, went from rodent hunters to taking down things like white-tailed deer and, you know, even moose in Maine. And it's the same thing that's happened here and in Norway with the foxes is that, you know, they, they have no competition. They're able to get bigger and bigger. You know, I know, I know somebody, um, recently that just shot one that was over 40 pounds, a fox fox. And I mean, and that's an absurdly big fox. Yeah. Our coyotes here, you know, everybody says, you know, if they see a coyote, oh, that thing was as big as a German shepherd. You know, and, and yeah, that's you know, a German Shepherd weighs eighty pounds, and and uh, we do a lot of coyote trapping here. And a you know a forty pound coyote, male coyote is a nice size coyote. So that is just crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, this was a this was a monster. I guess it wasn't a, wasn't forty pounds. What what would that be, Jurgen? I that I am no nearly some took in for 4.2. Yeah, correct. Yeah, uh, 14.2 kilos. So 
It's like 37, 38. Close pounds. enough. Close enough. But that, yeah. That's a, that's a extreme. That's a really extreme. That is extreme. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. the biggest yeah. one I've ever taken was nine kilos, which would be about 20. Yeah. yeah. Thir- 37, 37 pounds is big enough in any language. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's amazing stuff. And and so you're, how big is your Yog uh, Fox Terrier mix that you're sending in the hole to run uh, these out, Jurgen? She's um, about uh, five kilograms. Which is she's, uh, 15 uh, pounds? 14, 15 pounds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's uh, the devil itself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like they always, you know, they, they say in the States, they say uh, it's not the the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Yes, it, yes, correct. It sounds like she's got plenty of it. And I've, yeah. I've got a, I've got a funny story about Yog Terriers. I need to get this guy on the podcast because he's a hoot. He and I used to run a lot of dogs together and uh, we're partners on a few uh mountain original mountain cur dogs but he got the wild idea that he was going to get these yog terriers and uh he trapped a raccoon and um just to see just to see what their prey drive was and after they tore the tore the cage apart which i might have to edit this part out but uh (laughs) They tore the cage apart, they killed the raccoon, and then after the fight was out of the raccoon, they decided that they were going to fight each other. So, you know, they don't, a lot of times they don't know when to quit. Yeah, correct. (laughs) How does your, how does your Yog Fox cross, um, how does it get along with your other dogs, Jurgen? She's, uh, she's the best dog I ever had. She's, uh, she's pretty mild in, uh, in her head at home. But as soon as it's uh, hunting, she she understands it and uh, completely snaps. So uh, she's uh, very uh, kind to the kids and uh, the other hound I have, and mm-hmm. never never trouble. But uh, trouble for a fox. <laughs> yeah, trouble for a fox. I'd say yes. Uh, yeah. Even a even a uh, forty pound fox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the biggest fox are uh, aren't always the worst. It's the small females, uh, especially late yeah. in the season when they found their dens. They're gonna, yeah, raise cubs, and they they are uh, tough. The mm-hmm. male foxes, the male foxes are the easiest ones. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell so, yeah. you, I can tell you that if if you ever tried to come break into my house and hurt my kids, you know, my wife is just a little bitty thing. But she's going to be the one you'd have to deal with. She's she's like a grizzly bear. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that isn't that the truth? My wife's the same way. Yeah, weighs a hundred and fifty pounds, stopping wet. I'm closer to three hundred, and boy, people aren't afraid of me, but they're scared to death of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just put on a good show, but but when it comes right down to it, man, I would not want to. I mean, I've I've tried this before, and getting between my wife and her kids is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it can get pretty brutal and violent. So, all right, let's. Uh, Bear, you you and I talked about a few things that you're hunting a little a little different game down your way than what Jurgen is up there. So, what do you what are you chasing around? 
As houndsmen, we share very unique needs when we make a decision to relocate, especially when it comes to finding a hound-friendly environment in which to live. REMAX Hall of Fame realtor Evan Harrell is a houndsman himself, and he and his team understand your relocation needs as no one else can. With so many things to consider before you move, Evan can help you find just the right location anywhere in the country whenever you decide to go and will even help with the process of selling your present home. And Steve, REMAX Elite Realty is based in Franklin, North Carolina. Evan Harrell specializes in residential sales and especially in helping people like us to relocate to the locations we choose anywhere in the United States. REMAX has been the leader in residential transactions since 1999 and rated the number one brand in real estate. Evan has been named top producer four years in a row and Chairman's Club recipient in 2018. Contact Evan online at evanherrell.com or give him a call at 828-371-5103. You and your hounds will be glad you did. I mean, I'm I'm hunting pretty similar to what what Yodigan's hunting. You know, I'm I'm hunting um, for the very most part foxes with my with my hounds. Okay. Um, you know, I they do the uh, you know I've done some hunting, some moose hunting with the you know Norwegian elk hounds. You know, but they're not a hound. They're they're more of a Spitz type. Um, a Spitz type of type of dog. Um, you know, I like at this point I've focused purely on foxes. I don't, I've done a little bit of hare hunting. It's, I know it's a lot of fun. My, you know, the first time I went hunting with a hound ever was hare hunting. And, you know, that's kind of what, (coughs) kind of what got me, you know, what hooked me in all this. But, you know, I knew part of my interest in this started because of an issue with sick foxes around here. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a big kennel of sled dogs and I suddenly had a bunch of mangy foxes, like literally mangy, mangy foxes, uh, hanging around my dogs and, you know, starting to act a little bit, uh, a little bit crazy. So I didn't, yeah. uh, I didn't want them. Yeah. So you were trying um, to protect your sled dog pack from these foxes. So you got into the right. sport out of necessity. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, in in a, to in a sense, you know, I, ultimately I could have just you know sat out and you know th- threw some dead livestock down on the field and picked them picked them out, you know, picked them off with the uh, with a good rifle and a scope from the kitchen window. But that didn't uh, that didn't that didn't seem like as much fun. I figured if I was going to have to uh, thin out the population here, I might as well have some fun doing it. And, sure. You know, I've been uh, been a dog trainer for a lot of years, you know, I've been running dog sled dogs for 20, 22, 23 years and, um, have always wanted a hound. Did you always fascinated? Did you listen to our recent podcast with Arlie Reynolds? I did. Yeah. That's a, that was a great one. Arlie's a, I mean, he's a genius. That guy is, um, I, I would absolutely call, say that he is the, uh, foremost, expert in working dog nutrition absolutely i could have talked to that guy for like four hours he just it just intrigued me 
a lot of the things that he was talking about i'm sure you know with your with your history and sled dogs you you uh had already been doing a lot of that uh, i mean certainly yeah, i certainly have but you know it's because of <laughs> it's you know it's because of artley you know right. they the what he talked about on your podcast you know on this podcast wasn't you know, it wasn't news to me, but 15 years ago, it definitely was. Right. You know, or when he first started talking about it. So, yeah. you know, Arlie, um, Arlie really came and revolutionized um, the, the, the sort of art of feeding. And I think it is an art, you know, he, he's, there's a science to it, definitely. And that's what he bridged the gap in was between the science and the art. And that's why Steve and I wanted to have him on so bad, you know, yeah. is because that is something we depend on these dogs every day for top performance, the same as a sled dog musher does, but we haven't been exposed to that kind of information. No. And, yeah, I can't imagine a houndsman that wouldn't have a lot of takeaways from, from that episode. And uh, that's kind of what draw the, drew the two of us together, too, was the fact that uh, you've got a history in, in sled dog racing and mushing and things like that. And then you're a houndsman, too. So it was it was a pretty natural fit for us to get together and, and do a podcast like this. So, yeah, I was surprised, uh, surprised that you asked me, but I was uh, thrilled at the same time. I've listened to, uh, every podcast you guys have done at least once and, uh, and have enjoyed them all. So, but yeah, the one with Arlie was, uh, that was a great one. I, some um, of them, some of them aren't lo- worth listening to more than once. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Give me, give me enough time. I'm sure I'm going to listen to them all again. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you've got some good ones coming up here, uh, coming up here soon. Yeah. This is going to be, this is one of them. Uh, Jurgen, <laughs> I, I, I guess my question for you is, um, is it common for, I've talked to Bear and he said that a lot of Norwegians speak really, you know, have no problem understanding English. So, when we look at our analytics for the podcast, we see different places in Norway and Sweden where people are listening, and um, uh, we want to be valuable listening to people in Norway. So are you finding the podcast to be helpful or, or uh, interesting? Yeah, I uh, I have listened to a few of them, but uh, uh-huh. I I haven't had, had time to uh, so much because uh, I did I didn't know about the podcast until you uh, sent me a message. So it's uh, it's very interesting. Well, good. It's actually, it's, yeah. Do you ever? And I, ta- I go ahead. I I think you're um, going to yeah, more people from here north are going going to listen now. That uh, yeah. after after this, uh, yeah, good, good, yeah. So, so that's enough. That's enough of me pumping up my own tires here with the podcast stuff. Let's get back to what we're. <laughs> let's get back to what we're actually here to talk about. I want to know 
about these dogs that you're using and these hounds that you're using because obviously every place you go i don't care if you've got the best dogs ever uh, if you take them to a new area that you're going to face challenges uh, as a hunter mm. and also as a houndsman, your dogs are going to face challenges. You're going to face challenges. So I want to know what sort of things that you're looking for in a hound to chase a fox in Norway. Um, I actually, uh, the, um, I always choose a puppy after hardworking parents and grandparents and they have to have um, good fur and um, feet and a hard head. That's the main thing I look at because it's cold up here. It's uh, shitty conditions with ice, snow and raining. and mm-hmm. yeah. So it has yeah. to have uh, very good feet. Yeah. So that's yeah. why uh, very uh, much hounds doesn't have good feet and they are useless. So you're looking, so I, I, you're I, looking for a durable hound. You know, when I say durable, I'm talking about confirmation, you know, thickness of density of coat and yeah. one that's got drive, drive and heart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, yeah. that's why uh, we, um, when we, um, um, the pups that I and uh, the bear has, we, we mix it with a Russian hound, the, the father with a Russian female. And the Russian hound has very good uh, fur and very good feet. So that's what we are looking for to get uh, uh, yeah, good mm-hmm. fur and good feet in a hound who has a very hard head, hard working. Right. Yeah. right. Barry, you got something you want to add? Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with what he said. You know, we... Um, it. I've got a. have got this pup from him and then I've got um, a walker. And, uh, you know, the, the pup is seven months old and she is, um, or he is, uh, just in every way he's tougher than the walker is, you know, and I'm not hacking on walkers there. You know, I, I like walkers a lot, but he's just, um, you know, he's got better coat, better feet, a harder head. You know, I'm, I'm seeing why, why they did the uh, the breeding that they did, you know, and then a lot of people here will do, you know, they'll stick to a specific breed, you know, they'll stick to, they'll stick to just walkers, they'll stick to just Haldens or they'll stick to just dunkers. Mm-hmm. And they don't do the, uh, you know, crossbreeds are not popular here in. So, but, you know, I, I didn't really care. Right which is what intrigued me about this, about, you know, Jürgen's pups were that, you know, they, um, they, they were bred off of, they were bred on merit. They were bred for performance. Performance and not, not just performance anywhere, but performance in these conditions. Mm -hmm. eh? You know, it snows a lot. It's, uh, it gets, you know, it's cold. The uh, the soil can be pretty rocky. There's a lot of shale in the soil, so it's sharp. Mm-hmm. You know, they can really uh, they can really mess themselves up. You know, my my walker is a much lighter, smaller dog than uh, than old Buzz, this uh, this pup of mine, mm-hmm. and um, you know, she's injured much more than he is, 
Uh, and it's not a confirmation thing. It's just her feet get cut up and he'll run right behind her on the same ground and his won't. So when you say walker, are you talking about a dream walker? Or are you talking about a running walker? She's a running walker. Okay. Yeah. You know, and we've talked about this several times. We've interviewed, you know, houndsmen from the Southwest where it's a lot different conditions here. Dry ground lion hunting uh, is different sure. than snow lion hunting than coon hunting is in the East. You know, we've always talked about, you know, how would, how would my coon hound stack up in the southwest of the united states where it's extremely dry conditions are war you know compared to here the tracking conditions are more challenging um and then we also have discussed what it would be like to be to bring one of those dry ground hounds back here to the east and put them in that situation how would they perform here so every every region has got its own challenges and yeah, I was just talking to Brett Vaughn about that last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to him about, you know, because he's got those, um, he's got those dry, li- you know, dry ground lion dogs, mm-hmm. and um, that I was wondering a little bit about that. You know, how would those dogs then stack up? You know, going from hot, arid, you know, desert to steep cold norway <laughs> about like taking a snowbird and putting them in maine i would say you know you take <laughs> somebody that, like that. <laughs> yeah yeah they i don't know that that's always an intriguing thing and it, it the the cool thing is the common thread here is you know people in norway people in the southwest people on alaska we're all breeding our dogs for the conditions we have in our area and we just it it intrigues me to to know that people are breeding the types of dogs they need for their own own area it does you no good to breed for a hound that i use for for raccoons in indiana right would you agree with that i mean i think it depends a little bit you know i've I think it depends a little bit on what you're breeding for. You know, if you want a dog with maybe a little bit more, a little bit more speed, you know, if you're trying to get a little bit more speed in your dogs or, or something like that, you know, I, I'm still learning and and I'm still learning about this, Mm -hmm. you know, hound thing, but you know, in, in a sled dog world, you know, um, you know, I, I would be I would be tempted if I was looking for a specific quality, I would be tempted to breed to a dog that, you know, in virtually every other way would not fit into my program, but brings to the table something that maybe my dogs don't. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But to breed for the stereotypical, you know, what's going to be successful on on uh, game in the Midwest, you know, and, and try to, to form a breeding program, that'd be a really really big challenge i would say i would i would agree with that yeah mm. yeah yeah well let's talk about let's talk about moose hunting with dogs in norway because that that just amazes me yeah so well, I'm, uh, the, uh, go ahead the moose hunters <laughs> yeah i have um, hunted a lot of moose with uh with dogs and uh it's uh, it's uh, it's very fun to hunt and 
the dogs uh, we walk into the forest and just release the dog and we go out searching for moose and uh, and when he finds the moose uh, hopefully he will bay it up and it stands where he, where he find it mm-hmm. and then uh, start uh, barking and uh, and um, and then we can sneak up on on it and and hopefully shoot it but uh, many times the the moose starts running at full speed when the dog is coming and but uh, we are teams that hunt moose here mm-hmm. and maybe we are um, 10 people in the forest who are sitting on the yeah, around them and one will shoot the moose if it does uh, all right right it's, it's very interesting so how many dogs are you allowed to put down on a moose are you allowed uh, to that's, turn with that's uh, it's no number but yeah one but uh, sometimes we we release uh, young dogs on moose with a uh, older hound to mm-hmm. to get the young one going and yeah so uh, it it's best with one dog the moose doesn't get to uh, shaky and starts running so yeah mm. yeah so you got a you got a 1500 pound moose standing there looking down at one dog barking at it it doesn't feel threatened as yes, much yeah. as if you turn you know four or five dogs loose at one time yeah that it, the moose will start running uh, mm-hmm. directly and it uh, when you release the dog on the moose it's uh, important that the dog isn't too um, aggressive um it's important to start uh, barking very low and build up, and then the moose will be baited up uh, faster than mm-hmm. with a dog who is running in a full speed to the moose and just do a whoa, 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 whoa. Then yeah. often the, the moose just uh, yeah, starts running as hell. So we talked a little bit about that, Chris, when you and yeah. I talked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's. It's the truth, you know. There's, There's some... um... Go ahead. Finish your thought there. Uh, you can't, you know, you're not, it's not actually legal here to use your hounds. Uh, loose, you, I guess you, I guess it would be legal to use them on a leash. Okay. Um, I think, is that right, Yodigan? Couldn't you, uh, couldn't you trail them with a, yeah, on a leash? You can, you can trail them, uh, uh, that's, uh... What's illegal is a dog who is running after the moose and uh, and barking. That's yeah, illegal. Okay, okay. Yeah. So because they they mean it's uh, the moose is going to be very stressed and all right. that. Yeah. Right. But, uh, is there a size restriction? We talked about size restrictions on. on we did, yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, for the moose hunting dogs, there's no size restriction. Okay. Um, but for the hounds, you can hunt different game with hounds. In in Norway, you're actually it, it is actually allowed to hunt deer with hounds. Okay. But then you have to have a hound that's under sixteen point eight inches. I think it was at forty one centimeters. Yes. Um, so like my, you know, our hounds, we can hunt foxes, we can hunt lynx, badgers, um, 
I guess that's about it, isn't it? Can we hunt anything else with our hounds? Uh, nothing we can hunt. <clears throat> no, no, nothing, nothing we that we can both here. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> what I was neighbors, just gonna the say. Neighbors, <laughs> the neighbors' cats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, they've got you know they've got some breeds over here that are you know they use dachshunds quite a bit and then they'll use you know there's this little Swedish breed of hound called a drever a, a, like a I don't know what you would call it in English, a drever, a drever hound um, that uh, all, and then the smaller, you know, the smaller 13 inch beagles, you know, yeah, um, you know, you, you can use those. So people use those for the roe deer because that's what we've got over here are the roe, the roe deer mm-hmm. and then the, uh, the red stags. Um, like they've got over in Scotland and New Zealand. Um, you can hunt those with these short legged dogs, but you can't, uh, you can't hunt, um, you can't hunt them with the hounds. I'm, I'm just envisioning being a retired fish and wildlife officer. I'm envisioning me walking up to you and measuring your hound. Yeah. Talk about a constant headache, eh? No kidding. No kidding for everybody involved. It's like, oh, this one's 16.2 inches. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to write you a ticket. You know, give That's me That's got early retirement written all over it. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what else do we need to talk about? Well, um, you know, we've definitely got that with, you know, part of what makes hunting with hounds here in Norway a little bit challenging is that you can't hunt with packs. Okay. You know, you've got, well, you're limited to one dog. You know, there's a little bit of leeway. Like you had again said, if you're letting a young dog out with an older dog Mm -hmm. to gain a little bit of experience, but you know, that that's kind of a gray area even, you know, here. Hey guys, come on. Got my hounds, my hounds wrestling on the couch right now. That's good. Um, (laughs) but you're only allowed to let one loose at a time. So, you know, you can't, you can't build a pack based on the strengths of the individuals. You've got to have a dog that can really do it all. You know, that can pick up a trail and trail it and, you know, uh, do every aspect of the, uh, of the hound's job from start to finish. And that, you know, you're, it's, you're severely limited Mm -hmm. doing it with one, one individual dog. I think it would be extremely Uh, challenging to train a a new young hound on that aspect, but we do it with, with coon hounds a lot. You know, the trend is more and more to take a, a, if you start with a properly bred, bred hound and you give them the right exposure then they have a lot of natural talents that 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 they thrive on and they they draw upon to be successful but um i guess in the united okay. states you know i i'm 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 as guilty as anybody and i don't keep a lot of hounds but i've got too many right now because my hunting is limited so um and i i mean that by the amount of space that i have to hunt and um the amount of time that I have to hunt 
and the amount of game that I have to hunt. So realistically, I would be much better off having one hound that I can concentrated all my time into and, and trained that hound, spent the time with it all the time, undivided attention to that hound. So in a way it's, you know, it's, it's a, I think it's kind of good that you guys are, are developing stock like that because every hound that you keep has to be able to do the job on their own for your particular game. Yeah, I mean the quality of the uh, the quality of the dogs here, and you know I don't know. I got into it after I left the state, so I don't. You know I can't make any comments. You know, uh, comparing the quality of the dogs, you know, but um, the quality of the dog here, the dogs here is is really pretty pretty remarkable from you know from my point of view, especially coming from a mushing background. It's um, it's sort of remarkable to see the the percentage of the pups from each individual litter, uh, what percentage of those dogs, you know, go on to be, you know, totally, you know, decent dogs. You mm-hmm. know, you don't have a lot of total duds, which um, surprised me. I would have expected that uh, that you would have found that, that you would have right. had those dogs, right? you know. Well, I Hope think that half of the litter were usable. <laughs> do you think some of that is? Do you think some of that is because you know that you can only turn one hound loose, so you put more uh, training time into each individual dog, or do you think that it's because the overall genetic makeup is superior? I mean, I wouldn't say the genetic makeup is superior because you know the the at least you know the dogs that you and I are using, you know these these days they're you know they a lot of those genetics go back to the genetics you know that are in the states Mm -hmm. um you know not entirely but a a lot of them a lot of them do so that you know the genetics a lot of them are coming from from the united states anyway so i i think that it just it, it is a i think it does break down to the amount of time you're using training those dogs you know it's the same mm-hmm. with the same with the huskies is you know a pup that i use you know a a natural talent that i use five minutes with is not going to be nearly as good as a total you know bozo that i put ten thousand hours into sure yeah that that bozo is going to end up being a better dog in the end and I think that it works out the same, you know, regardless of what type of dog you're working with. And I've, you know, at least found that to be the case with, with the hounds, you know, Buzz has been a joy to work with because he's the natural talent and I've been able to put a lot of time into him. You know, um, Vipi, my walker, you know, she, she came to me later on in her life. You know, she was two years old by the time I got her, she had not been you know, not been properly started, you know, so I've spent a lot of time with her, but she doesn't have the raw natural talent that Buzz does. And, you know, we're, we're, we're still getting it done, you know, but it's, it's, I think so much of it has to do with the effort you put into 
the effort you put into the training and also, you know, a little, you know, to go back to what Arlie was saying, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, your overall program and how, how you're taking care of those dogs. Right. Well, that leads me to another question. Okay. So, you know, I can get on the internet here or on Facebook or whatever. And within four or five hours of my house of where I live right now, yep. I can, I can find a hound of good genetics that I can, I can use to hunt. How challenging is it in Norway to find dogs that are going to be dogs that you want to want to spend time on? How much of a challenge is it to find find quality pups in Norway? Well, I drove twenty hours to get my last pup. So, <laughs> Jurgen, what's your opinion on that? Um, it's um far between every hound here, so uh, you just have to take your time and. And drive that car so um it's uh, it's not so many often but uh, mm-hmm. as uh, we talked about earlier most of the hounds is use uh, you can use them to hunt with it's uh, very few bad dogs because uh, no one wants a bad dog the life is uh, too short to have a, a bad bad hound and <laughs> they I just, like that uh, yeah yeah but that's true i wouldn't I use agree. 10 years on a hound uh, that uh, didn't work so uh, yeah. So are there are there breeders in your country that that um, are you guys trying to de- develop your own breeding programs or or what's the status there? If the hounds are limited, then then how are you going to overcome that to make sure that uh, you have hounds for the future? It's um, uh, many a private person who uh, uh, find on Facebook. Uh, different hounds uh, to use in breeding and uh, it's uh, it's by it's it's about knowing people that have good hounds and some of them have um, are breeding constantly on uh, on good dogs uh, mm-hmm. so uh, but it's uh, it's very many private person who who makes one breeding and and often because they want a pup self from the hound he has so uh, right yeah that Which was is... the case with your last litter wasn't it Jürgen? Uh, that yeah, was like I, that was what happened with your last litter right was that yeah, it, it you was, wanted uh, a pup and the uh, owner of the yeah. oh, the owner of the mother robin yeah, and karina so we, wanted a pup too yeah 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 absolutely it was uh, we only we uh, we wanted only two pups <laughs> so we can have the <laughs> One each, but uh, it was seven or eight, so <laughs> That's but, what, yeah. uh, it was uh, no problem selling them. So, and we we wasn't out for money or or anything. We just uh, wanted to to give the hounds a good home, and that's more important for me. So, did you drive up there to get that pup, Bear? I actually didn't drive up there. I hopped on a plane and uh, <laughs> and flew and flew up there to uh, right. I had I was able to get one day off from work, so I left work, drove down to the airport, flew up there, grabbed that pup, went back, and went right back to work. Yeah, yeah. I was curious about that. It sounds like that's pretty similar to the United States, really. I mean, uh, yeah, a lot of these hounds that the crosses, 
the puppies come out of dogs that the breeder would actually want to have a pup out of anyway. And so you make the cross and then you keep the ones that, that you want to keep and then you, you sell the, the excess hounds. Yeah. yeah, and it's a good uh, conf- uh, confirmation for the uh, the other guys who are buying the pups that uh, the owners of the uh, male and female does uh, want a pup for for themselves. You know, right? If if Absolutely. I I I wanted a, a pup from this, and of course uh, the other guys who are buying those pups, uh, it's a confirmation that this is uh, probably very good. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's uh, that's good. That's good breeding practices right there. You know, you can't argue with that. Mm. Well, we've been rolling on over an hour here, and uh, really, yeah. Did, did did it seem like an hour, Jurgen? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Once you get into these things, man, it just starts rolling, and and you just start talking dogs. And there's so much to talk about when you get with three get three people or four people or a group of houndsmen together. You know, you can just talk for hours about about these hounds. And I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast and and uh, giving us an insight to to a culture of hunting that is pretty foreign to most of us back here in the United States. So really appreciate your time, Jurgen. Hey, it was uh, very fun. I'm sorry. It was very fun. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Barry, you got any closing thoughts you want to throw out there? Any any messages? Hi, moms, or anything back to Maine or anything? <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> Hi, mom. Uh, <laughs> no, I think uh, I really appreciate you having you know you having us on the podcast. You know, I'm I'm still fairly new in this sport, so just having the opportunity to sit down and talk to. Uh, you know, talk to you guys and, you know, I learn something every time I, uh, every time I talk to somebody, even if it's, uh, you know, most of the time it's things I want to try and sometimes it's things, uh, well, I'm not going to do that, but, uh, I really, uh, yeah, I appreciate having us on. I really appreciate that you created this podcast. This has been a great resource for me, you know, getting started in this sport. How many pieces um, of how many pieces of Houndsman XP gear do you have? Right now I've just got the hat. Okay. I have got the hat and I'm not gonna lie to you, that hat is not gonna last that much. That that hat's not gonna last. I've got that on my head so much that I I take it off just to make sure it hasn't grown fast to my head. Otherwise <laughs> <laughs> Well by the time this comes out we'll have uh new long sleeve t-shirts and we'll talk off the podcast about how to get get you guys uh a couple of houndsman xp shirts that you can wear over there too so oh awesome. that would be great yeah. love that yeah, yeah. jurgen you got anything you want to throw out to us yankees back here in the united states um i have a question actually yeah do you do you use hounds for uh, hunting coyotes and foxes over there uh, I understood the fox part. What what else did you ask me? The coyotes. Uh, coyotes. Coyotes. Yes. Yeah. Do, do you use hounds? Yes. Yes, we do. And okay. um, the coyote hounds, we use primarily two different types of hounds to hunt. Co- well, I'm going to say three really. Um, we use uh, 
the first one is kind of intriguing to me um is the decoy dog where you yeah. train you train a dog to sit next to you while you're using a a, a call and then when the coyotes mm. come out you send the dog out and it challenges the challenges the coyote and the coyote focuses on the dog and brings the coyote back within close shooting range where you can shoot the coyote so we actually call those decoy dogs and then we've got uh, the lurcher type dog that um, you'll see those in the in the greater great plains area more uh where you drive drive your truck until you see a coyote in a no. field and uh you drive out into the field and you drop the the greyhound type dog out there and they actually run the the coyote down and catch it and no, okay and then we've got the trail type hounds which are the running walkers that bear was talking about uh those types of hounds that are scent trail hounds you put them down in an area that there should be a coyote in they hunt out they find a coyote they trail it up and they bring the coyote around to the gun okay yep Sim- similar to the fox hunt and yes yeah. yes yeah. fox hunting is uh is not as popular now as coyote hunting because coyotes and foxes are natural um not natural enemies but but where you have a lot of coyotes you have less fox so um our fox numbers aren't as high as as what we used to have because our coyote populations have grown so much so a lot of these foxhounds have been have been transformed over to coyote type type hounds much okay. as, much the same as you were talking about your you know your foxhounds going to hares type thing you know foxes and coyotes uh run different and so a lot of the the traditional fox foxhound breeds have been bred differently to pursue a coyote than than a fox and then That's okay. and then and then our friend Shorty Gorham down in South Texas, we just did a podcast with him, and uh, he actually uses the running walker fox-type uh, scenting hound to chase bobcats and mountain lions. So they're pretty versatile, pretty yep. versatile. Yeah, the walker, the walkers really are, uh, really are versatile. I mean, can I can I actually ask a question before we yeah. before we wrap up? Absolutely. I'm a little bit curious about, um, you know, we talked, we talked a little bit before we got going about, uh, you know, the type of breeds that are used over here or the breeds that are used over here and, you know, a breed that's not used very much over here, definitely used more in Sweden where there's more bear and wild boar, uh, you know, are the plots. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what are your, uh, you know, what would your expectations be coming to a place like this? If you were going to take your two plots and come over here and hunt foxes, you know, or something like that, what would your expectations be of how those, how would those dogs work? And, um, you know, how, how would, how would they go about, how would a plot go about solving the puzzle of a, Mm -hmm. of a fox trail here in Norway? I think, I think it would be extremely difficult, um, in just a short trip, you know, I, I believe, and this is completely my opinion, and it's not to 
raise any controversy. I know there are people that feel like that, you know, certain types of dogs can't operate in different areas. But if, if you've got a dog that's got prey drive and intelligence, then if you spend enough time, then you can be successful with that type of a hound. Now, obviously, you know, I can tell you that, you know, I've got a boxer here in the house and she can trail, but she can't trail like my hounds. So when you look at some of the dry ground line dogs of the Southwest versus the coon hound of the Midwest, you know, they've been genetically bred for that specific purpose, but a dog that's intelligent and I don't know how long it would take because I haven't had the, you know, enough, the opportunity to do that, uh, to go out there and spend that much time and give a true evaluation of it. Um, but I've seen, for instance, you know, Labrador retriever is not typically known for its ability to track, you know, it's more of a retriever type dog, but as a canine handler, I watched numerous Labrador retrievers who were some of the best tracking dogs just uh, because of exposure and concentration and teaching them how to discriminate scent and use what God gave them in that olfactory system. So I think there's always going to be an adjustment period for any dog that you take to a new location, especially something that's as extreme as uh, coming from Bear Branch, Indiana and going to some place like Norway. Uh, yeah. but I think, I think that they could be, uh, I think they could be successful. I just don't know that, um, me bringing an older dog from this environment and flying to Norway and putting them down and saying, I'm going to show you these world-class dogs that I've have in Indiana and I'm going to put them in. It's not going to work. You know, they're going to, they're going to run out there and they're going to turn around and look at me like, what are we doing here? Why am I here? So it is cool, man. (laughs) Yeah. I had to, I have to put something in here. Yeah. Um, the, the, the hound I was talking about, um, uh, uh, who was imported from, uh, the States, um, he, he, he came here as a one year old hound. He has, uh, had traced the bears and. Uh, everything down there and he came here uh, to hunt foxes it didn't work out uh, for uh, i think he used uh, over a year to mm-hmm. get that hound to chase foxes like he wanted it to do so it, That's uh, really interesting. it, it clearly takes time it's uh, completely different yeah yeah, yeah i mean a, a fox track is going to smell different in your country then it then it's going to smell here and it's the same if i go to different parts of the united states i mean this is a whole podcast all of its own uh to talk about that and i'm sure that there'll be i'll probably get some hate mail over this but um you know things are just different you know and a dog's understanding if i take a dog and i turn him loose here every day he develops that's what's called a scent picture he knows what the game smells like on the ground here in this environment. He's got to relearn that when you take him, take that same hound to a different scenting environment. Um, There's just so many different things that a dog has to learn to be successful in different places. 
Uh, and I think the only thing that can overcome that is repetition. I think they're all capable, and I think they could be successful. All of our major breeds there can be successful. It's It really depends on what your patience is for it. Sure. Sure. And does it in a way that you, you that's acceptable to you? Because we always put the human factor into it. I've already got it predisposed in my mind what a dog should do when I set it down here. And if I bring a dog from another area and set it down here and it doesn't perform like that, then human nature is to say, well, this dog isn't good or this dog isn't, you know, it doesn't perform to my standards. He may still eventually be able to learn it. It just depends on how much time you want to put into it. Just my opinion for what that's worth. Right. No, that makes, uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Cool. Yep. But I, I think that if you took a, a young puppy, of any, a, a young puppy, I'm talking about you get a puppy from, from uh, some of the top performing hounds in the United States and you bring them to Norway and you bring them up and raise them in that environment, I believe yep. they can be successful. Yeah. We may even try it. May figure That's, it out. We, I might I might have to try that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Me me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What else guys? It, it, interesting. It is uh, where um it is some people here in Norway who uh, imports uh, young puppies here and, and chase fox and lynx and it works perfect. Mm-hmm. But uh, they import them very young. Mhm. So you know, we it works. A dog's got it. I don't want to run away with You the had dog. a guy Sorry, what was that? I don't want to run away with the podcast here, but um, a dog's got a, a a golden time in its life to learn, and every dog's different. Some some dogs are, you know, um, four to eight months. You know, you're never going to get that time back, that four month period that a dog really starts learning. You know, there are several authors and things that wrote books. Uh, Richard Walters is one of them. He talks about the scientific data of getting a, a pup on the 49th day and how I've much that, yeah. yeah, how much you can teach a dog in that. The 49th day of its life, according to Richard Walters, is the magic day to get a puppy. Uh, you, can, you can start molding that puppy and, and making it into what you want it to be, but there's a, there's a certain time, in a, time span in a dog's life where it's going to learn more than it will any other time of its life. It'll learn faster. It'll pick things up naturally. And and if you miss that window, that golden window right there, then you're going to have to start using that thing that we all struggle with, and that's patience. Right. What um, what was it that made you, you said you were a blue tick uh, or are a blue tick, uh, you know, man from way back. What What made you try... Yeah, I'm not. Uh, plots. I'm, I'm yeah, not a blue plots. tick guy from way back. I actually had a blue tick okay. uh, female when I was about 17 or 18 years old, and then uh, five years ago, in we started talking about in this area having a bobcat season, and so I had hunted with with a few blue ticks uh, out west on lion and bobcat. So I wanted to to try to capture some of that. So I, I actually got my first blue tick female as an, as an adult or on in my hound career about five years ago. 
and since that time, then then we've been able to um, have some pretty fortunate breeding opportunities and different things uh, that that serve us real well. The types of dogs that we're producing are serving us serving us really well for the game we're chasing. Okay, gotcha. But I was gotcha. in plots. I was in plots before then, and I've hunted. I've hunted all breeds of dogs. I've never been a, a breeder per se. Uh, just time, family, work, you know, all those things combined. Breeding to me is something that um, 90% of the people, including myself, probably shouldn't shouldn't do it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's shooting from the hip. I like my dog. You like your dog. Let's breed him type thing. But uh, yeah. there's been a lot of successful crosses made like that, and everybody's free to breed their dogs however they want. But for my personal standard, I didn't classify myself as a breeder, um, so I just hunted hunted a lot of different breeds over the years. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, that's really interesting. Jurgen, what do you think? Got anything else? Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap this thing up. And again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time to talk to us. I know that uh, there's a six-hour difference between here and there, so you guys are going on late night over there. You're closing in on 10 o'clock. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Six hours, so it's going on 4 o'clock p.m. and 10 o'clock there. So I appreciate, especially on a Friday night, you know, I can't tell you Mm -hmm. how much I appreciate that. We've we've both got small kids. Our our Friday nights are not that exciting anymore. <laughs> I remember those days. I remember those days for sure. So, well, I will wrap this thing up and close this out here. Steve usually takes this honor, but uh, like I said, he's he's uh, closing out his annual hunting trip while this is being recorded. But there's a fox track here. And hopefully I'll get to see this someday, Jurgen and Bear come over there to Norway, and see how you guys see how you guys hunt. But uh, you're always if, welcome. If yeah. I appreciate that, if uh, if we if I bring one of these soup hounds from the Midwest over here and I put them down with your hound, you know, on this fox track, I don't know what's going to happen. So no matter what happens, you follow your hound and I'll follow mine. 